0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. So today, we just happen to be in uh, Matthew 24 and 25. It's called the Olivet Discourse. It's basically right before Passover, right before Jesus went to the cross. Jesus predicted the temple is going to be destroyed, and, you know, and so the disciples said, well, when's that going to happen, and what are the signs that you're coming? When are you coming back? When's the kingdom going to get here? So Jesus took those two chapters, basically, and he gave a prophecy uh, summit on the Mount of Olives to answer their questions. And so we talked about that a little bit last week. We're going to share a little bit more this morning and so if you have your Bibles, let's open them to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 9 through 15. Um, so I'm going to call this, so we're going to have this backdrop for the month, and you know, uh, Christmas at home, the idea. So this is kind of like going to be my fireside chat with Maranatha Chapel. Remember President Roosevelt said, all right, and everybody gathered around the radio, the whole family, what's going on in the world, what's happening over in Europe, et cetera. So we're going to have fireside chats this month as we go through the Olivet Discourse and talk about what's happening in the world, prophecy, history. i got maps. I'm going to show you a lot of stuff. But uh, you ready? So we're going, to do, we're going to start with a little bit of review. Matthew 24, go back to verses uh, 6. Through eight. So, Jesus gathered them in verse 6. He said, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all of these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows." So here is kind of a little review. What are the beginning of birth pains? Jesus says, okay, between now and I'm leaving, I'm going up to heaven, and I'm going to be seated at the right hand of my Father. I'm going to be interceding and praying for you, and now the church is going to grow. Um, He said, so here, between now and when I come back, there's going to be many wars. There's going to be many rumors of wars. He said, don't get excited. Don't get afraid. That's just the way human life is going to be on planet Earth till I come back. But then he said, when nation rises against nation and kingdom against kingdom, now I want you to start paying attention. And we shared last week how that phrase in Hebrew, when Jesus said nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, what Jesus was saying in modern English is wars, rumors of wars, regional wars, that's not a sign. When you see world wars, now the birth pangs have started. The world wars are the sign that I'm on my way. So last week, we talked about World War I. World War I, and by the way, for 1900 years, there were no world wars. It was only in the 20th century that we had world wars. And we had two of them within a few decades of each other. And we talked about how both world wars relate to the Jewish people and to Israel. So World War I, we talked about how it was in 1917, uh, in the midst of World War I, that the British, under the leadership of General Allenby, who happened to be a believer and believe in the Bible and prophecy, led the British troops into the city of Jerusalem and liberated Jerusalem for the first time in 400 years from the Ottoman Turkish Empire. That was huge. Then we come just a few decades later to World War II, and we know all about that, and the Nazis, and Hitler, and the hatred for the Jewish people, and the Holocaust, and six million that perished. But the aftermath of World War II was that three years after the end of World War II, which was in 1945, in 1948, May the 14th, (laughs) Who would have ever dreamed that Israel would be born again as a nation? This has never happened with any other people or people group in the history of the human race. But it was predicted 2,500 years ago by the ancient Hebrew prophet Ezekiel in chapters 37, 36 and 37. So now Israel is born. And then we move forward in 1967. Now we're not that far ago. And there was a six-day war, and Israel gained the Golan Heights to the north, the West Bank in the middle, and the Gaza Strip down to the south. And the world has been in uh, you know, turmoil ever since. But these are the signs. These are birth pangs. Jesus then says there will be uh, famines and diseases and earthquakes, but they'll be like birth pangs. So some people could say, well, there's always been earthquakes. There's always been, uh, you know, famines and all of these things. But Jesus said, no, they will be like birth pangs. They will get closer and closer together, and they will get more and more intense. But the good news is Jesus did not predict the end of the world. He said, the world's getting born again. My kingdom is coming. Can I hear an amen on that? So it's a hopeful, hopeful sign. So then let's go on to verses 9. Now we pick up where we left off last week, beginning in verse 9, Matthew 24. It says, and then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. And then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. So let's stop there for just a moment. This is where Jesus said, the world will be in chaos. And I don't know if you watch and follow the news much right now, but the world is in chaos right now. Uh, There are countries just south of us in Latin America where there are thousands that are in the streets screaming because their governments have fallen apart. They're not providing the basic services, and the people are uprising. Now, we can move all the way to Africa, and country after country has so many issues and so many problems and so many wars and so many things going on. And then we can move on over to Asia, and if you've read or heard anything about what's happening with Hong Kong and all of China and the protests that are there, let alone going into the Middle East and all the things that are happening there. But Jesus said there will be many whose lives will be taken, martyrs. Martyrs for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is happening right now in Africa, in the Middle East. And the truth is, let's say there's 2.6 billion Christians in the world today. Two-thirds of our brothers and sisters live in dangerous neighborhoods. They are often the poorest people in their communities, they often belong to ethnic, linguistic, and cultural minorities that are easily and often preyed upon and taken advantage of, and they are often at risk. And, and yet, they, the boldness of these believers… So they are literally being martyred in, you know, various countries simply because they are Christians and they love and they're following the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll give you one example. You know, I mentioned this is some weeks ago, but right now, used to they would say that China is where the fastest part of the growth of Christianity. And I mentioned also that um, right now, at the end of 2019, going into 2020, Christianity is growing at a pace faster than the population of the 7 billion people on the planet. That's a reality of what is happening. But one, but there is a new country uh, that is threatening to take over the leadership of China, being the place where the most Christians are, and that is the country of Iran, <laughs> ironically enough. I know and have a very uh, good friend, I'll just use his first name, his name is Hormoz. Hormoz was a young college student in 1979 when the people of, of Iran… Uh, went to the streets, many of them were college students, but then many of the, you know, business community and leaders of the community, they also went into the streets and they wanted to get rid of Shah, the Shah. Shah was an interesting guy. There was apparently some corruption there, but he had a relationship with the United States. And so this Islamic movement, they said, the reason that we are living such miserable lives is we're not being Islamic as we should. We're not as pure as we could be. And if we were then we would be powerful and we would bring Islam around the world. So Hormoz, my friend, was a young college student. He went into the streets screaming and screaming, we need to overthrow Shah and death to America, death to America. Now, ironically, uh, he said that they won. He goes, it started with a few and then it became thousands, then tens of thousands, and even they did not fully expect how powerful it was. And the next thing you know, Shah gets on a plane and he leaves. And now they have control. And they move into this new Islamic uh, deal with their vision for the world. So Hormoz says, once the overthrow happened, he goes, well, he goes, gosh, now that it's happened, he goes, what I really wanted to do was I wanted to go to the United States so I could go get my you know, education there. So maybe I don't want death to America right now. <laughs> maybe it could wait down the road. So he flies to America with his wife, and he comes here, and he gets this great education. He also mentioned, he goes, wow, it was a lot different growing up in Iran, hearing about America than actually flying there, living there, meeting the people, seeing how it works. It wasn't exactly as I had thought. So God was working in several ways in his heart, but he was, and his education was going great, and he was very, very smart, and he's getting his degree, and he's, but he's miserable in his marriage, he's, and he's just angry, and he's unhappy. He goes, I thought that if I committed myself to all this, that I would be happy. And he said, why, what's wrong with me? And then he said, I I began to think, I know what's wrong with me. It's not me. It's my wife that I married. She is my problem. (laughs) So he came to her and said, I don't really like you. I don't really love you. And you're the problem in my life. And she went, "Ah," and she cried. And so eventually there was a Christian that saw her and Invited her. Hey, why don't you come to church? We, we love people and we'll pray with you and encourage you and comfort you and So she came and then she got saved So she starts telling her husband you have to hear you have to read about Jesus. He's amazing And Hormoz goes what you're my wife. You became a Christian. I'm from Iran I was in the streets yelling death to America. I'm Muslim. He goes you can't be a Christian. You're ruining my reputation so you know she just kept saying that and he was miserable and finally she said just come to church he goes okay i'll go to church because he was miserable he said i'm going to go and i have questions for the pastor so he wrote up all on a legal notepad he wrote all these questions he goes i went to church i wasn't even listening to the pastor i knew the quran is better than the bible blah 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 and he's giving all these scriptures so he waits for everybody to shake hands with the pastor and then he gets in front of me he's got his little notepad he says, all right, I got questions for you. So the wife is standing behind him going, please, 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 please. So he looks at him. He says to the pastor and points his finger. He goes, question number one, is Muhammad the prophet of God? He goes, now what the pastor did not realize is I was, I was triggered and ready. If he gave the wrong answer to any question, beginning with number one, I was going to start screaming, yelling, shouting fighting him, throwing a fit, and then walking out. So he comes up, is uh, Muhammad the prophet of God? The pastor was a man of the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit spoke to his heart and said, do not answer that question. So he looked at him and he said, that's a very interesting question. Uh, Let's talk about it later. What's your next question? He goes, well, okay. Question number two, is the Quran the word of God or not? And again, it was a triggered question if he gave the wrong answer. So again, the Spirit comes upon him and says, do not answer that question. He goes, that's a very interesting question. Uh, We can talk about that as well, but what's your next question? So he goes, well, okay. And he goes, by the third question, it got to what I was really wanting to ask a pastor and a Christian in America. He goes, I don't get the whole thing, I'm a Muslim, I've heard about Jesus, and he gets betrayed, and then he loses, and then he gets crucified, and he dies. What's the cross all about? The Holy Spirit falls on the pastor, says, answer that question. (laughs) And he begins to tell him, let me tell you that God, the creator is a father, and he is loving, and he so loved the world that he knew men were miserable with anxieties and fears and emptiness and loneliness and guilt. He's just describing Hormoz. And he knew that it would kill them and separate them from God for all of eternity, so God sent his son to take our place, and he paid for our sins. But because he was holy and pure, death did not have legally the right to hold on to him. So on the third day, he broke its chains and defeated it for all time. And Hormoz said it was like a spear of fire went through his heart and pierced him. And he said, I knew when I heard the gospel, that's the truth. He ends up giving his life to the Lord. He starts a little program where he now wants to beam to his family and his friends back in Iran. And that was many years ago today or program, shares the gospel of Jesus Christ and is beamed into millions and millions of Iranians right now. And there's a revival that is happening there. So read with me Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. There are brothers and sisters around the world that are living literally by this. They are giving their testimony, they are laying down their lives, and God is moving radically in the world today. There are stories from Africa from Asia, from Latin America, from all around the world because the the Lord is saying, look up as He pours out His glory upon all the earth. All right, so let's look at verse 14. Then Jesus says, after sharing all of those things, in verse 14 He says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. I don't know if you know this, but missionaries uh, and missions groups that have been sharing the gospel around the world, because of technology, are, for the first time in history, beginning to cooperate and work together. And they are beginning to say, we believe that within this next decade, we will literally be able to fulfill bringing the whole gospel to the whole world. It puts a big, uh, hopeful, exciting bullseye upon the beginning of the decade of 2020. But interestingly, this verse does not teach us that the gospel must be preached around the whole world before Jesus can come from his, for his church. This is talking about the very end. And what I want to say about that is that we're in a moment, we're going to talk about there is a future seven-year period uh, that, that is called the tribulation, and it is during that period, the, that the last seven years before Christ comes, will be. The greatest revival, the greatest harvest, in fact, in Revelation, it says, I saw a multitude so numerous you cannot count it from every nation, every language, every kindred, every tribe who get saved, and they are those who have come out of the tribulation supernaturally, and then the mystery is in Revelation 7, Revelation 14, God supernaturally anoints 144,000 Jews from the 12 tribes of Israel during that seven years, and the fruit of their evangelism and so forth seems to breathe this great revival. So, we're headed into some very exciting, very exciting times. And Joel, chapter 2, verses 28 and 29 says that right before the day of the Lord… When Jesus comes back, he will pour out his spirit on all flesh. And here's what's interesting. He will pour out his spirit on the old as well as the young. It will be a revival that is multi-generational. It will also be both genders. God says, I'm going to pour my spirit out upon men, and I'm going to pour out my spirit upon women. Uh, Men will prophesy... And women will prophesy. He also says, young men and young women shall also prophesy. And then the old men get to take a nap and dream dreams. I'm good with that. Okay. Hallelujah. (laughs) But I believe we're living in the days where Joel's prophecy is already being poured out like beautiful anointing around the world and will just increase until the Lord comes. So let's move on to the final verse. This is the last verse for today. Verse 15 Jesus said, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. So if you had any question, is Daniel really a prophet? Jesus said he was. Standing in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him understand, and then let those who are in Judea run, and he goes on to describe it. But I want to just focus here for a moment. When you, therefore, shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. There's a prophecy about 70 weeks in the book of Daniel, which is basically 490 years. So we've got to read a little bit from the ancient Hebrew prophet Daniel, chapter nine, verses 24 through 26. So let's read, this is verse 24, let's read this out loud. 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to being an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So 70 weeks, basically the kingdom's going to come, sin's going to be dealt with, God's going to anoint the most holy. Then in verse 25, let's read this. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. Until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks, the street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublous times. So he begins to divide up these seventy weeks, and then the last verse, 26, let's read this. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself." Okay, so what is this talking about? Here's, we got a little bit of history and prophecy mingled together. So remember when I told you that the phrase nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, is a Hebrew idiom for world war. So also the word week, 70 weeks, are determined upon thy people, who's Daniel's people, the Jews. And thy holy city, what holy city would that be? Jerusalem. The word week in Hebrew means a week of years, or a period, you know, it's, it's like we say dozen means twelve, a week means seven. So 70 times seven equals 490 years. What Daniel the prophet was given is this is when the Messiah is going to come. By the end of the 490 years, the whole kingdom of God will come on the earth. But he divides the 70 weeks into three sections. So number one, in the first seven weeks, which would be seven times seven is 49 years, the city of Jerusalem would be rebuilt and worship reestablished. That actually happened in history and can be verified as the Jews came back and rebuilt the city and began to worship the Lord in the temple. Number two, after an additional 62 weeks, times seven would be 434 years, the Messiah would come and die for the sins of the world. A total of now 483 years. And then, thirdly, the prince who is to come, who the New Testament describes as the Antichrist, will make a covenant with Israel for one week, which is seven years. And that, Daniel tells us, after the 483 years, the Messiah would be cut off. How was the Messiah cut off? The cross. So he came and literally from the going forth of the commandment in 445 BC by Artaxerxes to when Jesus of Nazareth was in Jerusalem, it was literally 483 years later to the year and even more to the day. But then he was cut off. So there's a gap. 483, all you need is seven more years and the whole kingdom comes. So what happened? Something happened, a gap happened when Jesus and the Messiah was cut off. Something new was put between the 69 weeks and the final 70th week, which is seven years. And that's called the church age. It was a secret. It was a mystery, is how the New Testament writers described it. God had a secret plan the whole time that he was going to build a thing called the church, which is made up of a Jew and a Gentile and make of them one new man. So think of it this way, predominantly salvation from Abraham, who lived 2,000 years before Jesus, so it was 2,000 years, pretty much you had to become Jewish or a believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to get saved. But then Jesus comes, and now for nearly 2,000 years, he's added a lot of Gentiles, as well as Jews, into the mix. So now it's kind of been equalized, both Jew and Gentile coming into the family of God, so we're waiting for one final 70th week. And here's where Daniel uh, finally talks about it. So the final week of Daniel is called the tribulation. Everybody say tribulation. It, it is, it's going to be pretty wild and crazy. There is one week or one period of seven years left in Daniel's prophecy. And in that, here's, here's how he describes it. This is Daniel nine Let's read it. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. So for that prophecy, so this is all about the prince that will come, this is the Antichrist, he makes a peace deal with the Jewish people. Well, that means there would have to be an Israel. If you're going to make peace with Israel and and many, you have well, there was no Israel for 1,900 years. So now that we enter the 20th century, the birth pangs of the World War start happening. Jerusalem's liberated. Israel gets born as a nation. 1967 comes. They recapture even Jerusalem and the holy sites. And now, all of a sudden, the world is saying we need peace In the Middle East and Daniel said that there will come this guy who will begin a peace you know covenant and it will last for seven years he said but halfway through the week it will the whole thing will fall apart and the last half so what's half of seven three and a half the whole book of Revelation is about the last three and a half years or twelve hundred and sixty days or 42 months. It's different ways of saying the same thing. It's gonna be the wildest, craziest three and a half years the world has ever seen. Out of the midst of it, God's gonna, He's going to harvest, you know, millions and millions of souls, unprecedented in human history. In the end, Jesus comes back at the end of that week and he brings his kingdom and takes, you know, throws down the Antichrist, defeats the devil, and establishes his kingdom here upon the earth. And then he says, but he will cause the Uh, sacrifices to cease. So apparently, number one, you have to have an Israel, number two, you have to have a Jerusalem that is part of Israel, number three, you have to have a rebuilt temple, and you have to have some kind of a peace deal that is made. So I want to leave you with some very interesting things that are happening right now. On December the 6th, 2017, our President Donald Trump announced that the United States was now going to recognize As the capital of Israel, Jerusalem, and he ordered the relocation of our United States Embassy that had been in Tel Aviv, and he said, I want it moved to Jerusalem. That has happened. Um, And I'd like to add, it was not decided by President Trump. It was actually decided by Congress back in 1995. Both the Democratic side of the aisle and the Republican side of the aisle came together in 1995 and said we should move our embassy from Tel Aviv to the recognized capital of Israel, which is Jerusalem. Why didn't they do it? Because they wrote a, one last little you know, legal thing and they said, but let's wait six months because maybe peace will come between the Israelis and the Palestinians and we don't want to interrupt the peace, so let's wait six months. So they waited six months, peace didn't come, so then they kicked the can down another six months. And from 1995 until 2017, they kept kicking the can down the road. Maybe peace will break out. Finally, they said, you can keep kicking the can, but the can doesn't seem to be going anywhere. So... He basically said, we're moving, and now recognizing that. Now, uh, what's interesting is from that, the Wall Street Journal uh, had an article, headline that said, Trump backs Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights. He endorsed Israeli sovereignty. So that goes back to 1967, over 50 years ago. Uh, That picture, that beautiful picture of these mountains that you're looking at is the Golan Heights. So now I want to show you a map in the middle of there where it says Golan Heights. That's where it is. I want you to look where it's located. To the right of the Golan Heights is Syria. To the upper left is the country of Lebanon. To the south is Jordan. And then to the west is Israel and the Sea of Galilee. It's right in the middle of everything. And now by... Making a statement saying hey, you know the war's over and we recognize that that is a big 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 deal And then I want to talk about just for a moment the West Bank because this has come up And I don't know if you've noticed it or not But so up the little tan area to the north. That's the Golan Heights that we just saw the big Tan area in the middle where Jerusalem is in is called the West Bank where the settlements are and they've had such controversy And then down at the bottom is the Gaza Strip next to Egypt, which Israel already gave back. But recently, our Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, has said that the settlements, where once they, you know, in 1967, they took the West Bank, and the Jewish people went there and began building homes. They're called settlements. And the UN has declared those are illegal, and they should leave them, Uh, and that's been a controversy. But our Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said the settlements that are in uh, the West Bank are not, according to our view, technically all illegal. Some of them should be legal, maybe some of them not, but let the courts determine that. But he basically said not only are not all of the settlements illegal... Rather than people have said, well, they're a detriment to peace. Mike Pompeo said, no, actually, they could be the role model for peace. Well, how is that possible? Well, something interesting, while everybody's talking politics and the headlines, the real people, the Jewish people, and the Palestinian people who actually live in the West Bank, this is what one Palestinian leader recently said 90% of the Palestinian people that are there living in the West Bank want to or are already working with Israelis and that they want to do integrated business with Jews and Palestinians working side by side. It is the rising movement in the West Bank with over now 250 Palestinian and Israeli businesses involved. Many of the Palestinian people say, hey, you know, you want to draw lines and do state this and that, and that's great, but what has happened the last 50 years? Nothing. We would like to build schools and hospitals and roads and do business, and the Palestinians who work with the Jews in the West Bank make five times what the others make. So now, basically, our Secretary of State is saying, rather than be the detriment to peace, they may actually be the role model of how to move forward. That Palestinians are saying, look, you know, politics continue the fight, but we want uh, jobs, we want schools, we want roads, we want hospitals, we want development, we want all of this, and we're already working with them, so let's start there and see how it goes. So I bring that to your attention because we are at an unprecedented time. Things are about ready to shift into a new gear in Israel. And what's interesting is that, uh, again, the president has said that he has a peace plan that he wants to unleash. Um, It will take uh, not only the United States. So let me just give you the 30,000-foot view of this. Uh, Many people have thought, well, there's the image of the man in the book of Daniel, uh, where all the future leaders and kingdoms would be. The head of gold is Babylon. Babylon then Medo-Persia, then Greece. I mean, Daniel prophetically outlined what history would be unfolding. He said, then I saw the two legs of the man, and that was Rome. And there's a western leg, and there's an eastern leg. He said, but then I saw their ten toes, partly iron, partly clay, and this rock came out. This is the vision he saw. A rock came out of the heavens, struck the image at the ten toes, and the whole image came crashing down. That was a prophetic vision of man governing himself rather than God. That's what that image of the man represented. The rock hitting the ten toes is when the kingdom of God is going to supplant man's kingdom with the kingdom of the Lord. The ten toes are remnants of the two legs that are Rome. You follow? So it's going to be the—it's a revival of the ancient Roman Empire— that will actually make or suggest the peace covenant between Israel and her neighbors that will be for seven years, only God lets us know prophetically, halfway through it, it's all going to fall apart, which is no surprise to us. But what is is Western Rome, Eastern Rome? And many have prophetically said, well, it must be the revived European community. I want to share with you I have an expanded view of that. I believe that what started, because Rome divided in half, west and east, and it went west to, from Rome eventually to London and the British Empire. But guess what? From London it even went further west, and I believe is the United States of America. That's where our Senate and the whole thing comes, goes all the way back to the Roman times. We are like America's the western leg. And now our president says, I have the deal of the century. I'm ready to unleash. But he hasn't unleashed it yet. The eastern leg started in Rome, and then it went to Constantinople. But it kept going further and further east. And guess where the eastern part of the Roman Empire landed and ended? In a city called Moscow. The leader of the Russian people used to be called a czar. What is the Russian word czar? It's a Russian word for Caesar so essentially what I believe this next decade what we're seeing hearing rumblings of is that a day in our future in the near future may come where the United States the western power of the world and Russia the eastern power of the world come together in an agreement for peace for the Middle East Only we know that peace will not last. So what am I saying with all of this? What I am saying is, number one, don't be afraid because God's on the throne. He told us what's going to happen before it happens so that when it happens, we can say we knew that was coming. The second thing that we don't have to be afraid for is that God says, by the way, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. and I'm going to reach millions of people and bring them into the harvest at the end of days. But it's also a time where God is shaking. Can you not feel every continent from the Americas, Latin America, Africa, Asia, Europe, all over the world is being shaken. How many of you can feel the shaking that's going on? So God is, he said, I will shake everything that can be shaken so that only what cannot be shaken will remain. And the only place that's not shaking is the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So we stand on a solid rock, but God wants to shake the world up, shake them up, in order to wake them up, and apparently he's doing it in Asia, in Hong Kong, in Iran, in Africa, in Latin America, and multitudes are having their eyes open like Hormoz, and they're running to the love of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So shake us up to wake us up so that we start looking up and our eyes are on him who rules and who reigns and is king of kings and lord of lords and bringing his glory to the earth, amen? And that's where he's coming. That's ultimately where he's coming through the East Gate. 2,000 years ago, he did the triumphal entry on the little donkey, and sadly was rejected, and then was crucified, but all according to God's plan. But guess what? There's a second entry. He's he, Literally, he left from the Mount of Olives. That's where this picture is taken from. He went up, and he said, I'm coming right back where I left off. I'm coming back to the Mount of Olives, and I'm going to make the same walk I made 2,000 years ago. But he's, and he's going to go through the Eastern Gate. But the first time, he came as a lamb, The second time he's coming back as a lion. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.